Okay, Psalm 30, verses 1 through 12. I'll extol you, O Lord, for you have lifted me up, and I have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Lord, my God, I cried out to you, and you healed me. O Lord, you brought my soul up from the grave. You have kept me alive that I should not go down to the pit. Sing praise to the Lord, you saints of his, and give thanks at his remembrance of his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, his favor is for life. Weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Now in my prosperity, I said, I shall never be moved. Lord, by your favor, you have made me, made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face, and I was troubled. I cried out to you, O Lord, and the Lord I made supplication. What profit is there in my blood when I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it declare your truth? Hear, O Lord, and have mercy on me, Lord. Be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have put off my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness. To the end that my glory may sing praise to you and not be silent. O Lord my God, I will give you thanks to you forever. Change to be like God is not an easy process. We all possess a sin nature that keeps wanting to be like myself. And I think you would agree with me that your worst enemy and my worst enemy is me. As far as our guests are here, we welcome them today. We've been, for the past several weeks, been looking from God's Word about the sovereignty of God and suffering. The world's full of it. Always has been and always will be. I believe it'll be somewhat better when the Lord comes and rules for a thousand years, but even then there will be some because the sin nature will still be here. And we'll be looking at the relief that is coming when we get to that final stage of eternity when the sin nature will be gone. I don't know about you, but I would love to get rid of my sin nature, wouldn't you? <laughs> And in some respects, it is gone in the fact that through Jesus Christ, that sin nature no longer has to control me. But I love to let it control me, because <laughs> sin is fun. We feel it's, when we get angry, I have a right to be angry, and it makes me feel good. I've got to get this off my chest, and then I'll feel better, right? Do we really feel better afterwards? Uh, maybe for a little bit, because the blood pressure drops, but not for very long. We all struggle with it, don't we? I trust that for those of us that have had the opportunity to be here for these messages, that due to God's Word, we're now beginning to see suffering from a different point of view. And when it does come, and if you have not suffered, you just haven't lived long enough. It's going to come. 
Don't you wish you'd go back to your childhood days when there were no problems? <laughs> Life was carefree, but it's not going to happen. So we've learned that suffering is the result of the sin curse. God uses Satan, and he plans his own events to accomplish his will. In fact, we've even talked about God. Can you just come down and could we talk this out first before you bring us on? Yeah, we would love that, wouldn't we? But that doesn't work either. Because of the sin curse, Christ suffered severely. We know what he endured to go to the cross. We've talked about what he did to come here to go to the cross. He gave up heaven. He took on a human body. It did not have the sin curse. But then he lived among us sinful creatures and had a horrible death on the cross and that suffering was necessary to satisfy God's wrath upon the cross for my sin. And so in that respect, I got to thank God for suffering. Because if it didn't exist, you and I would have no way to have our sins atoned and be right with God. But now what's the purpose of the suffering? The suffering we have learned is not to purge me of my sin, as far as for my salvation, to secure a place in heaven for me. That was all taken care of by the suffering we just talked about, the suffering of what Christ did. So the suffering now, as we've been looking at, has had several purposes. Some suffering is brought on because of the consequences of my sin. And it's chastisement. And I deserve getting a good whipping from God. That process, if I respond to it properly, will move me closer to Him. And that's why we're here. Almighty God, the creator of the universe, wants to have a one-on-one -on -one intimate relationship with me. And as long as I am practicing my sin, it can't happen. So He brings chastisement. And then we've also learned that the suffering helps us see just how big our God really is. While we're going through some difficult times, and Glenn has shared with us in the middle of all this, how God, and for our guest, Glenn is, is a fellow in our church that just has battled a horrible battle of cancer. And of course, there's others. Uh, Joyce, her reports are doing good, and others have battled cancer as well, but his prognosis didn't look good. But he shared with us, as a result of it, I am closer to God now than I've ever been. I see my God bigger than I've ever seen him. And we all see, because we know Glenn, it's had an impact on him. And because of that, it's beginning to have an impact on us. At least me, anyways. I don't know about you. So God uses suffering to spur us on. We saw even that some suffered for the cause of Christ and lost their lives and were martyred. And as a result of it, there was other individuals that, that said, I want to do that as well. I'm willing to be sacrificed for Christ. I'm willing to go there and take that man's place where he was martyred. Now that just makes no sense. You know, it's kind of like a, they think firemen are kind of stupid or crazy because when the house is burned down, they're running in and everybody's running out, you know. It's kind of like the missionary gets killed in the field, people are running in instead of running out. Why? Because the message of the gospel is what transformed lives. And usually, and it's, I think we could show this in many historical cases, that when the pressure is put on in an area to the believers, salvation is going to increase because of it. Maybe that's why some say, that's where I want to go. Souls are going to get saved. I want to be there be part of that. So what makes suffering so hard is the waiting. And so the, the title of our message today is Waiting Through the Suffering. Some of us, and I, I know what Glenn went through, uh, I think of all of us that have been battling cancer, he's probably had the worst ordeal some very long days and nights of sickness from the chemo and the radiation, both at the same time. I cannot imagine what it must have been like to be in his shoes, but I know it wasn't easy. In fact, he sh I don't know if I shared this with you, but I know Glenn shared it with me. There were two other men that were battling the same kind of cancer. 
that took their lives before they got to the end of it. That's how bad it was. Now maybe we've not suffered physically like Glenn has, but what about emotionally? What about mentally? What about spiritually? Have we had some long nights when we can't sleep? Because of the turmoil that's going through our hearts and our minds? Suffering is dark and it's deep. But let's turn to 2 Corinthians 4.17 as we begin to look into God's Word because this is where our hope is found. We're going to look at, again at Paul who suffered a great deal for the cause of Christ. And I wonder if Paul sometimes didn't think it was appropriate for him to suffer because he persecuted the church before he got saved. Now he knows that wasn't purging him in any way as far as making it possible for him to go to heaven. But 2 Corinthians 4.17 says this. And notice how he puts this. I wouldn't put it this way. I wouldn't run it. And we're going to look at Paul's list of suffering here in a moment. But in light of his list, I wouldn't have wrote it this way, would you? For our light affliction. <laughs> would, he, would we label it light affliction? We would say, Lord, the, the burden is heavy. I mean, what word can I use to make it intense? But it is, which is but for a moment. I'm sure many of us in this room have had times in our lives when we've gone through some horrible, horrible suffering. Did it seem like a moment to you? It seemed like it was never going to end. But notice what he says here. For a light of fiction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. Now look where the, the big magnifiers are. It's not on the suffering, it's on the outcome. Exceeding an eternal weight of glory. Now I don't understand it. We looked at that in one of our messages. If I keep my focus on the Lord and keep my eyes on Him as I'm going through the suffering... In some particular way, there's going to be some additional glory that God's going to place upon me when I get to heaven. And that's what Paul is seeing here. Paul is not seeing himself for the moment in the pain and the suffering. He's looking down the road to the end when it's going to be over. And that's the way you and I need to look at it. The suffering here cannot last forever, and it won't. But the reality of the pain. Maybe we don't want to admit it. But suffering is normal. Paul experienced more suffering than all of us probably in his room put together. Let's turn to 2 Corinthians. You're there, but let's now go to chapter 11. And let's look at his list. Verse 23. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool, I am more. And labors more abundant. And I simply think that means Paul worked his tail off for the Lord. There was nothing lazy about him. He labored hard. In fact, the word labor means sweat and toil. He labored diligently and hard. In stripes above measure. In prisons more frequently, in deaths often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. In other words, the Jews used cat and eye tails on them, and they would take them almost to the point of death. And they believe the 40th one would have killed them. So they'd take them up to 39, that's as far as they would go. That's why it's 40 minus 1. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I spent in the deep. Talk about a long day. Can you imagine 24 hours in a raging sea trying to keep your head above water? 
That must have been a long night. In journeys, often, he didn't travel by car, he traveled by foot. In perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, there were 40 men that vowed, we will not eat until he's dead. They must have starved to death because he never died <laughs> until many years later. But he was threatened by his own people. In perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toil, and sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Now, how about you, but when I think of Paul, I think of someone who is spiritually stable and got his act together, don't you? But it says here he had sleepless nights. So it's not ungodly for us sometimes to have some sleepless nights when we're going through some suffering. And the sleepless nights are probably spent a lot of time in prayer. God, I, as, as we saw the psalm here, and as we sing, I cry out to you. God, I don't know which way to turn. And there have been times when I've, I have claimed Romans 8, 27. I don't know how to pray, God. I want your Holy Spirit to pray on my behalf with groanings. I don't know. I don't understand, but God, I need it because I don't know which way to turn. This is Paul. But it's not done there. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2. 27 to 30. For indeed he was sick almost unto death. And he's just talking about uh, a friend of his. Uh, I can't remember who it was at this point. Um, but not only him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Whoever this person was, very dear to him, didn't want to lose him. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again you may rejoice that I may be less sorrowful. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness and hold such men in esteem because the work of Christ he came close to death not regarding his life to supply what was lacking in your service toward me. So he sorrowed over a friend that was in very poor health. But it gets even worse in 2 Timothy Chapter 4. We looked at this a little bit in our Bible school hour this morning. 2 Timothy 4, 10 through 16. For Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. I can appreciate where Paul's coming from here, because nothing's more frustrating for a pastor than to see a committed believer drift away from the Lord and no longer serve him. But he says, as was departed from Thessalonica. Cretans for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for the ministry. And Tychicus I have sent to Ephesus. Bring the cloak that I have left with Carpus at Troas when you come. The books, especially the parchments. More suffering. Alexander the coopersmith did me much harm. May the Lord repay him according to his works. You also must be aware of him, for he has greatly resisted our words. Now verse 16. At my first defense, no one stood with me, but all forsook me. May it not be charged against them. When he needed support the most, he was left standing alone. Have you gone through a trial, a test, a suffering? And even though you are in a crowd, can you feel alone? Yeah, we can, can't we? But here, Paul was literally left alone by his friends, his fellow believers. They abandoned him. And back to 2 Corinthians 11, uh, 28. One thing we didn't read there, it says, Besides all these things, that long list we read, beside all these other things, what comes upon me daily? My deep concern for the churches. See, Paul's mindset was not just one church. In Acts, we've been looking at it in, the morning, in our morning Bible study, he had three missionary journeys. 
planted how many churches? And every church he planted, he still had a heartbeat for every one of them. And I can identify so much because you know we had the privilege of helping plant the church in, in uh, Huttonsville and then another one in New York. And my heartbeat is, is still somewhat there. When they're suffering and struggling, I do too. In fact, the work that we've left, my heart is broken because it's not doing what it could be doing. And some of the folks are very frustrated because of it. So I understand. So Paul had maybe 15, 20 churches on his mind that were weighing him down mentally and spiritually about the condition of them. And the church in Corinth was not doing well. It was a very ungodly, immoral congregation. In fact, Paul really gets down some nitty-gritty, some very solid teaching here because of it. It's not easy for a pastor to take people and tell them, this sin has got to stop. But he loved them enough that it had to be done. So what's the effects of all this pain? I'm sure some of these things we've experienced. Can't get out of bed in the morning. We're just so depressed and so overwhelmed that well, due to, due to what's going on, today's been canceled. <laughs> you ever wake up that way? I'm just going to stay here. What to do to your energy level? It just saps it right out of you, don't you? doesn't it? You just don't want to move. You can't think. You just, the confusion, unable to concentrate because your mind is just overwhelmed with what's going on. No desire to pray. No desire to read our Bibles. Meditate on the Word. And I hope that you have at least got this handled well, that when you don't feel like praying and you don't feel like reading your Bible, you're forcing yourself to do it because that's when you need it most. I guess it's kind of like taking medication that tastes terrible. You don't want to take it because it tastes terrible, but you're going to take it anyways. <laughs> because if I don't, I'm not going to get any better. Spiritually, it's the same way. And when we're in these situations, as was read in the psalm, we're going to read another one here in a little bit. God seems so far away. Has God moved? Who moved? We did. I did. And as a result of it, do we ever question God? I talked to a gentleman yesterday that did question God. Things were not going well. Life was extremely frustrating. And he shared this with me. He was so mad at God, he literally took his Bible and tossed it out the front door into the front yard of his in the front yard of his, of his place. Ever feel like doing that? Have you ever been so mad at God? So God, I am mad. I'm angry. Why did you allow this to happen? Anybody willing to admit that they've done that? I've been there, done that. And you might say, well, I could never be that bold, but if you're thinking it and it's there, God knows anyway, so you might as well tell him anyhow. Because you can't hide it from Him. And you know what? You're not going to offend God by telling God I'm angry at you. In fact, He wants you to tell Him that because you need to hear it yourself. You need to be honest with Him. And then said, Lord, forgive me for being angry because I know you know what you're doing. I just don't understand. We can't seem to find any comfort. Any of these things sound familiar? Ever been there? This is normal. This is not wrong. Now, it can be wrong, but it doesn't have to be. People can sometimes respond and unintentionally add to our suffering by giving pat answers. I used to do that. 
going in the hospital room and somebody's going through surgery or cancer or something and, and you just try to, you got to say something so you say, everything will be okay and, and God knows what he's doing. And But if you've ever been laying in the bed and you heard those words, did they help any? And sometimes they're even frustrating. <laughs> I just take it, they don't know what to say because I've been there and they don't know what to do but they want to help so we take it as that. But, you know, sometimes... The best thing to do is when they're weeping, weep with them. And get off this kick that I gotta, I can't cry, I gotta be strong for them. Where did we ever get that from? And guys, we're the most guilty, aren't we? I used to be that way. I wouldn't shed a tear. I'm a man and I'm a bastard and I gotta be strong. And then there's a verse that's only two words. Jesus wept. Now, there's no bigger man than Christ. And he wept because a friend died. What blows my mind, he knew in five minutes he's going to bring him back from the grave. But he cried anyways. Why? Because it's okay to cry. It's a way sometimes to release the tension that's building up inside. I know, I've been there. I remember one Sunday morning, all kinds of pressures building the church. 45 minutes before I got in the pulpit, I sawed my eyes out for 45 minutes, uncontrollably. Had no clue why, but God did. I needed that release from all that was being pent up, pouring my heart out, crying to Him. God, you know what's going on in my life. So we don't want to be ashamed of our tears. Pain and suffering are very real and very normal. But how we handle it and how we perceive it makes all the difference in the world. And we need to see it through Christ's eyes and not our own. The problem with suffering. Now I, I think, and maybe I'm wrong because I'm not a worldwide traveler, but listening to those that have and are, I think here in America we have a deeper problem dealing with suffering than the rest of the world. And I'll tell you why. We are spoiled rotten. We have all the luxuries in the world. We can get anything we want almost instantaneously. We don't have to wait for anything. If you want something, charge it. We'll pay for it later. You know what I'm talking about. We don't have to wait. If you got a pain, go to the doctor. He'll give you a pain pill and take care of the pain. And again, there's nothing wrong with that. But you go to other places in the world... And they don't have these luxuries and they have to wait. They have to be patient. I mean, if we're hungry, I would just go to, I mean, if, if you and I didn't buy a stitch of groceries for a month, would we have enough money, food in our, our cupboards to last a month? I said, probably so. Our freezers are probably plentiful. We could probably go a couple months. Some people go from day to day. And, and when you look at some of the commercials on television, you know, I, I kind of get to pick what I want to eat, and, and I get what I want to eat, and it tastes good. But you ever look at some of these, what these people are eating? It's just a bowl of mush. And that's all they get to survive on. But we're spoiled. We're quick to run to pain relievers, and we want a quick fix. And I think there's been nothing more obvious than what's happened with the hurricane there Sandy it's on the news still almost every day people are complaining and grumbling because the government did not come in and fix them immediately no patience they don't understand the magnitude of the problem and, and you can't solve all these problems overnight but they want it because we're spoiled there's no waiting we need to be patient and we need to wait but when we're hurting and it's suffering and there's pain, we don't want to wait. 
We want a quick fix right now. And God does not always work that way. Even in mourning, in the Old Testament, in, in Genesis 50, Joseph dies in Egypt. And I want you to notice something here. It seems odd, but still just take time. Genesis 50, 3 through 10. Forty days were required for him. This is Joseph. It took 40 days to embalm his body. For such are the days required for those who are embalmed, and the Egyptians mourn for him 70 days. How long do we mourn? Maybe a week. And then we got to be that tough, put that tough experience, got to be strong for everybody else. There's nothing wrong with mourning the loss of a loved one. Moses died, and God said, Hey, you got 30 days to mourning. It's okay. He was your fearless leader, he was your godly leader. Mourn him. It's okay. But we don't want to mourn. Men don't want to cry. We don't want to show that we can be weak. That's why we take it. But we don't want to see pain as a normal part of life. We like to focus on the triumph at the end. And we should. That should be what gets us through the suffering. We know there's going to be a triumph at the end. But we want the, the triumph to come yesterday. We don't want to go through all this suffering. We don't want to go through this long, dark night. God promises to deliver us from all of our affections. And let's turn to Psalm 34, 19. Because when we think it will never end, we need to perhaps put this verse to memory. And notice what it says here. Many are the afflictions of, what, of who? The righteous. Not just the unrighteous, not just the sinner. So, and, and how many of us thought that when I become a believer, life is always going to be good? No more problems. I don't know about you, but I had that feeling for a good many years of my life. And I got frustrated with God because He wasn't keeping my comfort zone comfortable. He's pulling the sheets out from underneath me. He was jerking my chain and I didn't like it because I thought, well, God, I'm a good Christian. You should be making my life smooth. But it says here, many are the afflictions of the righteous. Expect it. It's a normal part of our Christian experience. It's a normal part of our walk with the Lord. But he says, but the Lord delivers him out of some of them. Doesn't say that, does it? He will deliver us out of all of them. There's no suffering, there's no pain that he won't deliver us from. Now the problem is this. I want to dictate to God how I'm going to be delivered from this. I want to tell God, God, let's make this a, a one-day suffering thing. And God said, no, the best thing for you is i got to make this several days, several weeks. Maybe you know who it is, but no, I know what's best for you. Trust me. We don't like that word when it's hard. Let's turn to Psalm 88. I'm going to take time to read this whole psalm. O Lord, God of my salvation, I have cried out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of troubles and my life draws near to the grave. I am counted with those who go down to the pit. I am like a man who has no strength, adrift among the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, and who are cut off 
from your hand. You have laid me in the lowest pit, in darkness, in the depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. You have afflicted me with all your ways. Notice who's doing the affliction. You have afflicted me. You have put away my acquaintances far from me. You have made me an abomination to them. I am shut up. I cannot get out. My eyes waste away because of affliction. Lord, I have called daily upon you. I have stretched out my hands to you. Will you work wonders for the dead? Shall the dead arise and praise you? Shall your loving kindness be declared in, in the grave? Oh, your faithfulness in the place of destruction. Or your faithfulness in the place of destruction. Shall your wonders be known in the dark and your righteousness in the hand of forgetfulness? But to you I cried out, O oh Lord, in the morning my prayer comes before you. Lord, why do you cast off my soul? Why do you hide my face from me? I've been afflicted and ready to die for my youth. I suffer your tears. I am distraught. Your fierce wrath has gone over me. Your tears have cut me off. You have come around me all day long like water. They engulf me altogether. Loved one and friend, you have put afar from me and my acquaintances into the dark. You notice what's not in this psalm? A good conclusion. Sometimes we just have to wait through the suffering. And clearly in this psalm, whoever wrote it was very much aware that God was allowing these things to take place in his life. And he expressed all the things that we've ex experienced in our suffering. So sometimes the suffering may seem what I call the forever syndrome. It seems like it will never end. But it must. Because we know how it ends, don't we? There is a time coming when there will be no more sorrow. But look, let's look at the psalm. Let's just review it again. The psalm cries day and night because the suffering is so intense. In verses 1 through 3. Crying out day and night before you. I incline my prayers to you for my soul is full of troubles. He's sapped of his strength in verse 4. He's overwhelmed and feels God has forgotten him. He's, God has placed him in the pit of despair in verse 6. He felt God was angry at him. And if there's sin in our life, that will be the case. He felt he had no friends. Stated twice, verse 8 and again at the end of the chapter. He didn't even have friends to support him. He prayed daily. But he wasn't getting the answer that he wanted. And he wasn't getting the answer when he wanted it. Have we been so bold to demand from God, I demand an answer now? He asked, where are you, God? In verse 13 through 16. Verse 17, he's eaten up with despair. He's overwhelmed with the suffering. And he's feeling very, very much alone. Again, that's the value of the local church. No one in a local church should be going through any difficult time because you've got a church family. We need to be looking at our church family as a support group. And we should not wait to be asked, but we should be rallying around those who are struggling. We may need it ourselves someday. In fact, one gal that called this week for counseling, she was on our website, and she listened to some of these messages on sovereignty of God and suffering. And they were a tremendous blessing to her because it helped her in a time of need. And she said this, I want counseling from you and your church because I think you're the support that I need for what I need. That's what we want to be taking place and developing in our community. Amen. 
This is how the psalm ends. No victory is recorded. It just drops it right there. And sometimes there are going to be times in our lives when we're going to feel that way. It's not unique to feel this way. I don't think it's even unspiritual unless we're just completely lacking in our trust for God and we are cursing God to His face. That's not a wise move. <laughs> we're the ones that will suffer. But whoever wrote this psalm is very honest and open with God. Where are you, God? Are you angry at me? Tell him those things because, quite frankly, we are the ones that need to hear it. In fact, this individual that threw his Bible out in the front yard, he went back in the house, sat on his bed, and he cried. And while he's doing that, he's getting these flashes in his mind of, what have I just done? In a sense, I have almost literally thrown God out of my life. That scared the living daylight out of him. He went out there, grabbed up his Bible, and brought it back in the house and said, no, I don't think I want to go there with this. He got his sense together real quick. But this might be a good time for us to read Romans 8. And if you don't have it memorized, it would be wise to do so. Romans 8.35 Who shall separate us from the love of God? And notice these first few. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword those are all kind of physical sufferings that we can experience that are outside, that can affect us, that we can't control. When we are experiencing, and we may, in fact, if you notice this week, the Supreme Court now has in their hands what to do with same-sex marriage. If what I think is going to happen, they're going to legalize it. You realize what kind of pressure that will put on the local church that preaches that homosexuality is sin? There will be some that will know what churches preach it. And I believe some of them will deliberately go into the church and just wait for the preacher to say something again so they can have him put the rest and shut that church down. I can see that happening. Can you? Do we need that kind of suffering? Yeah, we do. Because how did we get here? We as Christians fell asleep. We did not stand up for the word when we should have. And if that does happen, I expect a great awakening to take place within the local churches. Because God's revivals do not come out of good times. <coughs> Now, I'm no prophet. I'm not saying that's definitely going to happen. But I can see the potential, can't you? Do I want that? No, I like my comfort zone. I don't want persecution. I don't want to go to jail. <laughs> because if they do, I can tell you right now, your pastor will never change his tune on what the Bible says about homosexuality. I will love the homosexual as God loves him. But I will never condone what they do. Of course, homosexuality is no different than someone lying or stealing. It's sin. We just make it look worse because how can they do that? It just kind of grosses us out. But sin is sin. Joy comes in the morning. Psalm 30, verse 5. For his anger is but for a moment. Notice, a moment. It might seem like a long time to us, but to God it's just a moment. His favor is for life. Now, what we try to convince ourselves, God, I've got to practice this sin so that I can enjoy life. I'm going to miss something if I don't do this thing. Now, we don't use those words, but that's basically what we're saying when we give into that sin, isn't it? I can't give this up. 
I'm going to miss something. But life really begins when we continue to develop our relationship with Him. Life is not in things that we own or things that we do. Life is our relationship with Him. That's what He is saying here. Back to verse 5. Weeping may endure for the night. Right now our nights are long. They're going to start getting shorter soon. I love December 21st. Shortest day of the year. From there on, it starts getting longer. I don't like these long nights. Do you? In fact, sometimes it plays on my mind that I can get really depressed. <laughs> I don't like these long nights. But sometimes in our lives, we feel like this is a really, really long night. I can't wait for the morning to come. But notice what he says here. But joy comes in the morning. Now again, to remind you, especially for our guests who are here, and joy and joy are two different things. And joy means it's pleasurable. Joy may not be pleasurable. Christ went to the cross and he counted it joy to do it. Was that pleasurable? Absolutely not. So what is wrapped up in this word joy? There was great satisfaction and contentment that he was fulfilling his father's will and he was dying for the sins of John Stitzel. That's when he found joy. There's going to be good that's going to come out of this suffering. And folks, when we've made it through the night of that suffering and that pain, the joy is, it wasn't pleasurable, and it may not still be pleasurable. Again, let's lose Johnny Archantata for an example. He's now been paralyzed for almost 50 years. It's been a long night for her. But if you've ever heard her share a testimony, she has found joy in it. Because she knows, because she came to a point where God, I see that this is what you want for my life and whatever it is you've got to get done through it, you get her done. Because I'm going to walk again one day anyways. This is not permanent. Now, 50 years, I don't know about you, that seems like a long time. In fact, 50 years seems like a long time, but now that I'm 60, it doesn't seem so long. How did I get here so quick? Right? You know what I'm talking about, don't you? You're up there. Time goes so quickly. And when you continue to compare our time that we're here compared to the coming eternity, it's just, as the Bible says, a brief moment, a, a mist. That's what helps us get through those long nights. This is very brief and temporary compared to eternity. And I believe that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to look for and anticipate the coming final state of eternity. That's our joy. There is an ultimate morning coming. Let's look at just again very quickly. We don't need to spend a lot of time on it because I'm sure you're familiar with this, but Revelation chapter 21. We live in a sin-cursed world. There's always going to be challenges. It's never going to go away. But we have this promise in Revelation 21.4. God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. In fact, by the way, where is He wiping these tears away? In heaven. So that means even when we initially get to heaven, there's going to be some tears. Exactly what? I don't know. I think some of those tears that I'm going to express are because, oh God, I am so sorry I didn't do better. And maybe it'll flash through our minds individuals that didn't get saved because we didn't go to them with the gospel. Now, I don't believe anybody's going to go to hell because I didn't witness to them, but I could have got the reward and the blessing for leading them to the Lord. But the tears will be wiped away. There should be no more death, no more sorrow, nor crying. There should be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Folks, there's our hope. That's our promise. That day is coming. 
Not about you, but it could happen right now, and I wouldn't be disappointed about you. But we're not there yet. But it's coming. We got to keep that in mind. I remind you of Jesus' pain. It was very intense. In Matthew 26, 38, we're not going to turn there because you're familiar with that passage, but it says, my heart is exceedingly sorrowful. Exceedingly sorrowful. Not just a little bit, but intense. And he brought his friends along and said, pray with me. I, they obviously did not know what was coming. But what did they do? They fell asleep. When he pleaded with them, I need your prayer support. I need your companionship. They fell asleep. He was left alone. His suffering was so intense that he sweat drops of blood. Now, I've been intense before, but I've never been that tense. Now, we need to turn to Hebrews 5. That passage is not quite so familiar, and I want us to look at that verse. Hebrews 5, 7 through 8. Who in the days of his flesh, when he had offered up prayers and supplications, now notice this, with vehement cries and tears to him who is able to save him from death. How intense is vehement? On a scale of 1 to 100, where would you put that? Probably 110. When he was in the garden and it was coming up to that, he was praying vehemently. He was crying vehemently. Now verse 8. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he what? Suffered. Which means he was obedient in spite of the suffering. The question you and I need to ask ourselves today, when suffering comes into our lives, are we being obedient to the Word of God because of our love for Him? Or are we caving in? I know from personal experience that when you cave in, you make the suffering worse. When you don't feel like it, you got to say, God, your word says, and I'm going to do it anyways. I don't feel like it, but I'm going to do it anyways. Why? You love me enough to suffer for me, and now I'm going to suffer, as Paul said, just a little bit of light affliction, just because you love me. I'm going to do it because I love you. And I believe that excites our almighty God that we would show our love in that way. And he's given us an opportunity to show the depth of our love by being obedient with contentment because of his love for us. That's not easy to do, but it's not impossible. So he asked for the suffering to pass from him, but it didn't pass. The father said, you have to do this. And he did it. It was no ordinary death. It was a crucifixion death. And in your notes under 8, you might put this reference down. Matthew 27, 46. Another part of his suffering was for about six hours, his own father could not look at him. For the first time in all of his eternal existence, there was a breach between the Father and the Son, and it was because of my sin and your sin. I personally believe that was the major suffering for the Savior. And now Isaiah 53 is free, as we know. He can now identify with our suffering. He knows what pain is. He knows what suffering is. So when we suffer, he says, yeah, I know, John. I've been there. I've done that. I know where you're at. I'm walking with you through it. Let's just stay together, and we'll get through this thing. Hope for suffering. Well, in Isaiah 6.3, that's where Isaiah saw God in his holiness. 
That's why we need to daily reflect upon who our God is and His attributes and His characteristics so we never lose sight of who He is. I wish I could see what Isaiah saw. Because it transformed Isaiah. Moses saw God's holiness in regard to Israel's suffering. He saw that all the suffering that he put in Israel was to purge them as a, as a nation and to make them a godly nation. Unfortunately, they didn't do very well. But God is patient. God is powerful. He is loving. He's merciful. He's compassionate because he's God. In Isaiah 43, 1-3, he says, I will be with you through those deep waters. We need to cling to God. One other passage I want us to look at is in 1 Peter 4, 12. It simply says this, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Let me read that again. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you. Don't be shocked. Don't be surprised when suffering comes. That's what Peter's saying. Peter knows he's been through it. As though some strange thing happened to you. We'd like to avoid it, wouldn't we? But God's Word is making it crystal clear that suffering is good for us spiritually. It will not last forever. Run to God, fall at His feet, and say, Lord, I need you. I need to feel your arms around me. I need to know that you're there. I don't know what to do. This suffering is horrible. But God, this suffering that I'm experiencing is just a light affliction compared to what you did for me. Help me to endure this suffering in a way that will bring glory to your name. And I don't deserve it, but I know when I do, you will give me some form of that glory when I get there. And I think whatever glory he gives us, whether it be a crown or some glory, we're going to say, Lord, I don't want this. This is yours. I only did this because you enabled me to do it. Because deep down in, I didn't want to. I wanted my comfort zone to stay intact. Folks, only God knows the future. I don't know about you, but that gives me great comfort. I do believe that as we get closer to the rapture, things are going to get a lot more ugly in this world. And look at what's going on in the Middle East. Look what's happening in America and in other nations across the globe. God is doing something. And it's hard to fathom in our minds in America that religious persecution could come to this country. And it may not. But don't be surprised if it does. But understand this, it won't be the worst thing for our nation. And for our guests, I'll share this and then close. Because I shared it with our folks before. There's a Chinese pastor that asked a pastor to quit praying for persecution in China. The Christian Chinese are actually praying that we as Americans will begin to experience persecution. Because they know it's the only hope we have. In a sense, spiritually, it will separate the men from the boys. And when that happens, revival breaks out. Chinese are getting saved by the thousands every day because of persecution. I believe you can look at any nation on the face of the earth right now where there's heavy persecution. And you will find great numbers of Christians coming to know Christ. And here, we might go weeks and months without seeing a decision for Christ. But when the persecution comes and the suffering comes, we saw that in 9-11, didn't we? I know we talked about it. 
Church attendance jumped for like two months. How quickly can we forget? God may bring persecution that won't be quite so quick to forget. To bring us to himself. So when it comes, and it will, let us not panic. But let's go to God. Let's cry to him and say, Lord, help me to endure this suffering in a way that will bring glory to your name that I might influence someone else for Jesus Christ. Father, thank you for the word. We don't like suffering. We want to avoid it. But we have now learned from your word that when suffering comes, it's sent by you and for a particular reason. May we respond, even though we may not understand, in a way that will glorify you and find joy in our suffering because of the suffering that you joyed for us. It's in our Savior's name we pray. Amen.